Elevate every morning with Tommy John's Second Skin Underwear. The luxurious support of Second Skin guarantees everything will go smoothly. With over 20 million pairs sold and thousands of five-star reviews, guys love Tommy John. Plus, your most valuable assets are covered with Tommy John's best pair you'll ever wear or its free guarantee. Shop Tommy John's friends and family sale right now and get 25% off site-wide at TommyJohn.com slash Spotify. TommyJohn.com slash Spotify. See site for details. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. From Gimlet Media, this is The Nod, a show about Black culture from Blackness's biggest fans. I'm Eric Gettings. And I'm Brittany Luce. It's been so awesome to see how y'all are getting into our summer podcast club. Thank you so much for sharing and telling your friends. We know that romance episode stirred up some feelings. Feelings. Brittany, I think I'm finally ready for that romance novel horoscope you sent me. Yes! Oh my God, I really hope that you... (laughs) Maybe we'll report back. Maybe that could be another update. (laughs) So for those of you who are new to the club, this month we are revisiting some of our most thought-provoking episodes, the ones you can't stop talking to us about. We've put together a guide for organizing your own club. To check that out and to find out how you could win a Nod t-shirt, visit the nod.show slash podcast club. That's the nod.show slash podcast club. So this is our last installment of the podcast club series, but podcast club is by no means over. Keep it going, keep listening, and keep sharing with your friends. So for this week's final podcast club, we thought we'd share an episode that's very personal for me. It's also one of the episodes I get asked about the most, literally on buses, at the grocery store, in front of a mailbox, you name it. (laughs) And I think that happens because the episode kind of presents a lot of deeper questions about how schools educate black children and just the ways that we're brought up to think about our blackness. So two years ago, I was debating whether or not to send my daughter Eve to Afrocentric school. Strangely, it was not a cut-and-dry choice. I had some real, real hesitations. So I decided to document how our family made the decision. I won't spoil what happened, but it was a journey, a little stressful for me. Mm. And at the end of the show, stay tuned for an update on how Eve is doing and how I feel about our decision today. I'm about to make a really big life decision. Okay. And it's about... My kid. Hey. Hey. Say hi, Dad. Hi, Dad. So that's Eve, my daughter, and my wife, Carla. Who These are people who I imagine you're familiar with. I've met. We've met. We're, we're familiar. <laughs> so anyway, that was me coming home the other night on the, uh, the eve, if you will, of a big decision. Okay. Uh, after we put Eve to bed, you know, we sat down on the couch, and Carla had our glass of red wine. We got cozy. Get close to me. We're married. We can do that. <laughs> okay. So, I mean, we we need to put Eve in school. We do. 
it seems like we're like okay so eve's two and like this is going to be her first like real school experience and we're trying to decide on a preschool but the thing is carla wants to send her to an afrocentric school i see and okay look I know what Afrocentric school is supposed to be like, you know, centering the Black experience and talking about Black history in a much more substantive way. And don't get me wrong, I have a lot of problems with the way that most schools, like, center white and European experiences. Okay. But that said, is an Afrocentric school definitely better? Like, in my head, the details of what happens there are just fuzzy. Like... Is it a lot of story times about ancient Egypt mixed in with some kente cloth? It just seems like a bunch of people trying to teach my daughter what it means to be Black. And, like, I have a lot of feelings about that. Mm. My biggest one being, I don't really trust other people to do that. I'm not going to lie. It's hard to be like... I don't want my child to have a strong, you know, foundation of blackness. Like, you know, I wanted to grow up steeped in white supremacy and, you know, all this <laughs> stuff. But like the idea, you know, everybody's idea of inter- like integrating blackness into an educational conversation isn't the same. You know what I'm saying? Like there, mm-hmm. there are people who are, quote unquote, very uh, pro-black who still look at certain depictions of blackness as problematic. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of really toxic ideas surrounding respectability politics. Mm. You know, the the pull your pants up. Yeah. And I feel like the blackness in our home Mm -hmm. is very like, all-inclusive blackness. It's pretty broad. It's It's very broad. broad. (laughs) And I just want, you know, I want, I want, I want her to grow up not, not demonizing aspects of, of her blackness. Mm -hmm. And like, do you not share that same fear? Like, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's hard to, even now, even though she's still so young, it's hard to kind of delineate where, my desire for what I didn't have stops and where my desire for what she could have starts. And this is something that I, I mean, I obviously feel very strongly about because I didn't have it. Um, So yeah, I went to very white schools, K through 12. I don't feel like I graduated with a very strong sense of like who I was as a black woman, as a black person in general. There was no... Black girl magic, you know, I had a lot of the, I don't want to downplay it, but a lot of the typical, like, self-hate of, like, oh, I'm too dark. You know, I had a lot of issues with my hair, and, like, it really fucked with my head for a very, very long time, and it it just didn't feel uplifting or supportive supportive in the way that I, I really, really needed. I kind of had to get, kind of had to get there on my own. I do get what she's saying. And, like, that's part of the reason I went to an HBCU. Like, doing that really, really helped me to understand my own Blackness and just, like, our history. Yeah, I mean, I mean, same. And that was just so, so important for me. Mm-hmm. But still, like, I had a lot of logistical questions about how exactly all of this works. I'm curious as to 
why that starts at like two. Like maybe this is my own ignorance about like early childhood development or whatever, but I know I want her to be able to count. Like I know I want her to be able to, you know, maybe like like read her ABCs. Mm-hmm. I also just don't know what she's supposed to be able to do. So like with the culture stuff, like I, I think that would sound even better if she was in like second grade. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I said all of that. And hopefully it's, implying that yes, ABCs, one, two, threes, like <laughs> that are also is on the definitely, table. Definitely, yeah, important. So after this conversation with Carla, like my head was swimming with questions. Like Eva's a little kid. She needs, you know, repetition and simplicity. Mm-hmm. And lessons around black history and culture can just get really, really complicated. You can't really put Jim Crow history on flashcards. Like you need you need nuance, you know? <laughs> you can't really distill that. <laughs> yeah, it's hard. It's yeah. hard. And do I really want to put the responsibility of teaching like our daughter about race in somebody else's hands? Mm. So I decided to do the thing that I usually do with big decisions. Well, you made a spreadsheet? Yes, actually, I did make a spreadsheet. But (laughs) after my conversation with Carla, I also just, like, went into research mode. I, you know, did some reporting. I called up experts and, you know, people who went to Afrocentric schools to just answer some of my questions. So I began my quest for answers by calling Iman. Like our best friend, Iman. Yeah. Like, she went to Afrocentric school when she was little. (laughs) I'm very curious, very curious to hear what she had to say. Hello? How you doing, Amon? I'm doing okay. I'm doing okay. I wanted to ask her, like, what was it like learning about, you know, Blackness at the same time as you learn about your ABCs? I remember, like, counting to 100 in Swahili. Um, can you still count to 100 in Swahili? No. Do you no. know how high can you count? Can you count to five? No, I don't remember any of it. And I felt like I remember reading when I went to public school and Afrocentric school, I don't remember what I learned. Mm -hmm. I feel like kids at that age, you know, should be focusing on reading and writing and arithmetic. And like, you have not like lived enough to be burdened and saddled with, you know, these ideas and these notions about your, your racial identity. Mm -hmm. Reading comes first and knowing your numbers and, you you don't need to know the Swahili version of your numbers. Like, that's not going to help you. So this kind of gave me some pause. Like, learning Swahili is awesome. You know, growing up, Jumbo Means Hello was one of my favorite books. It's a great book. It's a good book. It's a great book. And, like, I know that's not the only thing they're going to be doing. But, like, I'm a little nervous that, like, the that the focus might be more on learning the cultural things, you know, than learning, like, the core academic things she's supposed to learn at that Mm, age. mm -hmm. Yeah, I feel that. But I didn't want to just rely on Amon's experience, so I needed to expand my sample size. And, like, I heard Carla talking about her friend Marion, that she went to an Afrocentric school. Mm -hmm. So I reached out to her, and she had a much more positive connection to it. We did The Wiz, as our school play. Wow. Yeah, and I was the standby uh-huh. to play Dorothy. <laughs> and then Still counts? No, 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 cuz then with a little mojo and some, you know, rain dances, 
little other Dorothy got sick. Wow. Night before. Look yep. at God. Look at God. Just <laughs> blessing him with the flu, Lord. Yes. So, <laughs> I was like, I am Dorothy. Do you even? I'm going to ease on down this road and you're going to follow me. Real talk, that I, I would probably be sitting up there bawling like a little baby. Seeing all these little black kids it's, singing the whiz. Yes. Like, you know, it can feel forced if you see a, a little black kid playing a, a part that is for white people. It's like them feeling the need to have that performance and giving the children something to work for and making it be a black production. Yeah. Like, I don't know that I would have gotten that at another school. The Wiz is one of my favorite movies, and I always wished that my school could have done it because I was obviously deep in the theater, which explains a lot. But um, <laughs> that was actually they never there weren't enough black people. It's crazy when you're a kid, you're so starved for some sort of image like that. So like to be able to do a production of The Wiz that is exciting and that is adorable. Yeah, I mean it's cute, but like a lot of that didn't really become important to me until high school, you know. And we're talking about really, really young kids, yeah. like. You know, for some people, like Marion, it really, really matters. But for others, like Amon, you know, it was too early for her to get it. Okay, so at this point, my research has all been, like, anecdotal. But now I'm feeling like I just need some facts. Mm -hmm. So I actually put my questions to someone who I would consider an expert. (laughs) Dr. Keisha Bentley Edwards. She's a developmental psychologist and a professor at Duke University. I look at how we develop. I look at it not only from a racial and cultural perspective and see how race and racism affects your life, um, but also how it affects your life differently at different developmental stages. Are you the person that all your friends go to for this information? Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. I get a lot of calls and emails and text messages that start with, am I crazy or dot, dot, dot? Do, am, am I supposed to act a fool? <laughs> Dr. Bentley Edwards, the good doctor, if you will, <laughs> uh, she cuts straight to the point. Like, kids start to understand color and race at very specific ages. Babies recognize that there are color differences. Mm. For African-American children at around three years old, that is when you know that it actually has a meaning. Even if you can't process and have a conversation about it, you start to know that there's something different about my skin and it means something. It means something to the broader world. Honestly, I just thought I had more time until we actually had to, like, deal with that. Like, all the stuff Carla said about self-image, whether Eve is proud of her skin tone, her hair, all that stuff starts really soon. Hmm. And Dr. Bentley Edwards told me it's, like, even more important than I thought. A high racial identity is related to higher academic achievement. So, And so that means that the higher your racial identity, so the more proud you feel of being a Black person or how you see yourself as a Black person, um, those folks tend to also do well in school. But it can't just be be proud to be Black and put a kente cloth on. (laughs) There has to be strong academics and learning um, and social development as well. That makes that makes sense to me. Like, you know, if you're feeling self-conscious, you're going to be focusing on that. You're not really going to be focusing on school. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense to me, too. And, like, if you run with that logic, it seems like an Afrocentric school would definitely make kids less self-conscious. Mm-hmm. Like, that they would come out being really proud of their blackness. So, in theory, 
Afrocentric schools for the win, you know? Case closed. Case closed. I mean, wait, is the episode over? It is not. (laughs) The thing is, like, I know from experience that there's more than one way to be proud to be black. Like, growing up, I learned a lot of stuff that I thought was a part of what it meant to be black that I later realized was just kind of bullshit, you know? (laughs) I mean, like, I grew up thinking it was my job as the black man to lead my household and my people out of the darkness, you know? Oh, I know. So this actually came up. I was talking to someone else I know who went to Afrocentric school, our friend Jordan. I love Jordan. How did they teach you about your role, like, as a man, I guess, like, Mm -hmm. in relationship to, you know, to women? Chivalry was extremely important there. Mm -hmm. Um, So the man was the protector um, and made sure that we looked out for the women in the school. I'm a gay male. I mean, there was times where, like, I was maybe corrected for my, like, feminine traits. Mm. Like, I didn't start dancing until I was in high school, but if I had wanted to dance, I'm not really sure if it would have been embraced because it was kind of just, like, all the women dance and then all the men drum. That's great. Okay, so Jordan's like, he's an amazing dancer, and I know he's been passionate about it for a long time. And that's crazy to think that at such a young age that if he had wanted to pursue something that he actually turned out to have a really big talent for and really big love for, he wouldn't have been able to pursue it. Exactly. Like, this is what I didn't want out of an Afrocentric school. Like, if Eve wants to drum, she's going to drum. She will. So that was bad. But, like, I also realized from talking to Jordan that, like, one bad experience doesn't just negate, like, the entire idea of Afrocentric education. Like, Jordan, for the most part, really loved his school especially compared to the charter school he went to later. One of the things that I didn't experience in Afro Central School was the issue of skin tone. Mm. I'm extremely fair-skinned. Mm-hmm. Like, people wonder if my dad is white. Mm-hmm. I never had any comment made to me. It was never really an issue. It was just like, you know, you they really embedded in you that Black people need to support one another. And to not be distracted by, you know, creating issues with one another. That is really cool. Right? You know, like, I want I want Eve to grow up, you know, and, like, see another Black person mm-hmm. and be like, I want to help that person. You know, mm-hmm. I want to support that person. Yeah. Like, I'm just there for them. Like, that, that to me feels awesome. So are you sold on Afrocentric schools now? Well, of course not. and like a part of it is because like in the time that I was doing all this Carla had just wanted me to actually go straight to visiting an Afrocentric school (laughs) (laughs) she didn't quite have all this in mind she didn't have all this in mind but now I feel like I I know enough to like walk into an Afrocentric school and like honestly judge them fairly you know Carla loves you (laughs) <laughs> so, unlike me, she's not going to roll her eyes. She's probably just going to smile and go with you someplace. But I just want to let you know that y- you did way too much. <laughs> I, I like to think that I put in extra effort, you know? <laughs> but I don't think that's, a, that's, a, that's in school that wouldn't be a bad thing. It wouldn't be a bad thing. And this is your child. Exactly. So, I'll let it pass. Thank you. But Jesus Christ. <laughs> After the break, I put away the spreadsheets and get schooled. 
Elevate every morning with Tommy John's Second Skin Underwear. The luxurious support of Second Skin guarantees everything will go smoothly. With over 20 million pairs sold and thousands of five-star reviews, guys love Tommy John. Plus, your most valuable assets are covered with Tommy John's best pair you'll ever wear or its free guarantee. Shop Tommy John's friends and family sale right now and get 25% off site-wide at TommyJohn.com slash Spotify. TommyJohn.com slash Spotify. See site for details. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome back. So, I told Carla that I was finally ready to go visit an Afrocentric school. And after a little bit of searching, we actually found one close to us. So, one morning before work, we hopped on a bus and headed over there. I was making a lot of little random jokes. It still seems like, a, like we're about to walk into this mythical land, you know, of like, like I feel like the building is like a pyramid. a pyramid? It's not a pyramid. It's like a brick building. That's nice. When we first walked up, I actually felt a wave of, of somewhat of relief because they had a sign posted that said that they were closed for Malcolm X's birthday. And I was like, whoa. Okay, maybe they see history like I see history. You gotta recognize the important holidays. Alright, press the button. So we press a button and they like buzz us in. Um, and so like we walked in and to the left, there was this amazing picture of, uh, of, the, of the Obamas. Like that looks like, like, like regal. There's a beautiful family portrait of the Obamas. <laughs> right at the, the door. door. <laughs> With all their names beneath them. Yeah. Then we walk into the actual daycare and it's just this like massive room. And at that point, you hear just like this chorus of kids in the background. Say hi, guys. Hi. hi. They have a two-year-old, too. They want the two-year-old. It's a very comforting sound to just hear, like, kids at play. Yay. And, like, Black History was everywhere. I see you got the uh, Black History Month sign. Is it is it Black History Month every month? All year. We celebrate Black History all year. We're, we have innovators who were born all throughout the year. Um, we want to learn about those people all throughout the year, too, because it's just important for our children to know about their culture and the people who created things that you don't even think about, like a shoe or a refrigerator or the traffic light. It's just something that we're always going to talk about with them. So we want to make sure that's infused in the lessons, too. There was a, a spot where a bunch of kids had colored pictures of Shirley Chisholm. And that, I mean, you know, that's really dope. Like, there were drawings of Martin Luther King and Malcolm X's glasses. Painted. And there's a little picture of Malcolm X attached to each one, and they say happy birthday, Malcolm X. Friday is Malcolm X's birthday, so we definitely wanted to celebrate him, and we are always doing art, so we figured why not his glasses, which are one of the most iconic things about Malcolm X. <laughs> I want some green frames. <laughs> I 
so the there was a uh, a very nice woman ahead of emissions. She came up to us, and it felt like talking to your auntie. And that was really nice. So this is our babies, our twos. <laughs> and this group, they learn mostly through song and play. Um, because at two, year old, two years old, that's really what they can take in. And that's the best way to try to work with them and try to reach them. I'd heard people describe pieces of this. You know, oh, we learned Swahili. And actually being in the environment and seeing how those things happened in like a, like a real setting made me understand that like, oh, you can teach the history and the culture and the learning at the same time. You can see them learning about their culture and being able to repeat things about their culture in a natural fashion. It's just natural. We want them to be confident in their culture, in their background, so they can do whatever they want to do in the future, no matter where you are and what you're going to do. And when we asked about all the activities she could do. Afternoon for them to do. We do, I always miss one, yoga, chess, Swahili, African dance class. We have an optional African drumming class. When you're older, you can do violin. Everything was available to everyone. You know, the boys were gardening, and Eve could drum and dance. So, like, I'm looking around this classroom, and, like, this is a classroom I couldn't have even dreamed of as a kid, you know? And I start to realize, like, maybe I can trust these people. Like, maybe this is the right thing for you. I mean, everybody tells you you can't do everything right. And you hear that, but you immediately disregard it. Because, like, I look at her and I see her as an opportunity to, like, to create a happy person. And you want to do everything possible to make sure that this person is happy and grows up and is just excited about their prospects for the world and their future. And it's tough because at that same time, you know all the ways it can go wrong. There's everything from like the smallest mistakes where she has a bad day to she might not be prepared for the difficulty that is inherent in being who she is. And you see all of those possibilities in in almost every decision. Them participating in teaching her how to be Black was scary. Uh, And now, it's now now comforting. uh, Because there is a level of trust there now. Like, I understand what they're trying to do. And now that I've decided that this is something I want for Eve, I I can let go of some of my own experiences. This is a thing I'll have to to get used to doing over and over again. I'm excited for her to walk in there and see all the stuff on the wall. And like, her figuring out what she wants to go and play with or manipulate first. You know, to see that moment of hesitation, because she always kind of has this moment of like, hmm, do I trust this? She's our, she's our dad's her dad's child. But then she's like, okay, that. I'm going for that. Eve's been in Afrocentric school for two years now. Come back after the break to hear how she's doing today. Plus, Carla and I will talk about whether we made the right choice.
Hi, it's Stephen Colbert, and I'm here to tell you about The Late Show Pod Show, which is the podcast of The Late Show with me, Stephen Colbert. And I'm here with my uh, producer of the podcast, Becca. Hi, Becca. Hi, Stephen. So what do people get when they listen to The Late Show Pod Show? Let's, let's sell this thing. The extended moments, for sure, because we run out of time for broadcast, but we have plenty of time on the podcast. It's kind of like being a live audience member of the show because you get things that no one else hears. Listen to The Late Show Pod Show with Stephen Colbert wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello? Hi. Hey, Carla. Yeah, Eric, how you doing? <laughs> How's it going? going well, going well. Eve has officially been in Afrocentric school for two years. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. So I know that I was the one resistant to this decision. Uh, yes. <laughs> but I'm curious, like two years, two years in, how do you feel about it? I feel really good about it. I, I definitely think we made the right decision. Eve is thriving. Um, she is more talkative and curious and independent than ever. Yeah, no, I agree. I know. I, I witnessed it as almost like a blossoming. Like, there's so much that they teach him there that are, like, that's just, like, affirming. You know, like, mm-hmm. I, I don't know if you remember, there was, like, a period where she would come home and she'd be like, I'm awesome. And <laughs> and at first I was just like, well, yep. yeah, sure, you're, you're great. And, and like, <laughs> it was clear, like, this was, like, a mantra, like, you know, I'm awesome. Or she would be like, I'm I, clever. Yeah. And... <laughs> And, you know, I'm at first I'm like, oh, this is something that y'all practice at school today. And she was like, no, nah, I learned mm-hmm. it at school. You know, it was like, fine. And it, it wasn't a thing for her. But she really retained that. Mm-hmm. So I will say at her school, there are like activities that they plan that I do feel like you wouldn't, we wouldn't have gotten if she was at a daycare uh, that was predominantly white. Uh, right. <laughs> uh, the school is black as hell. And uh, so I'm curious, like, if you can, if, if, like if we could try to remember just some of those moments, it's been two years, but they're they I feel like they're they are many. The first thing that comes to mind is the Kuramu feast that mm. happens after every major performance. Um, and it's really just a time when they encourage all families to bring a dish to share. And usually it happens in a room that's just a little bit too tight for everybody, but it's okay because <laughs> it encourages that family feeling. Um, and it definitely feels like a giant family reunion. Yeah. Also, I think about at the end of most programs uh, that we do, like everyone, uh, everyone in unison shouts Harambe, mm-hmm. and seven you know, times. Which, yeah, seven <laughs> times. Why? Why is mm-hmm. it seven? They explain it, and I forget immediately. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully, Eve knows. But yeah, so, yeah, she she definitely knows. <laughs> yeah, uh, which means like working together, pulling together, helping each other. You know, caring, right. sharing, all those things. Um, I mean, there was the, they had, when Black Panther came out, there was a, they had a program oh and there was a Black Panther fashion show. And mo- most, yeah. more specifically, the thing I took away from that is that there were so many more Killmongers than Black Panthers. <laughs> uh, Killmonger had a point. <clears throat> Don't at me. Yeah. Uh, 
Let's see what else. I'm, I'm actually like I'm scrolling through the pictures from the beginning of the year, and I'm just seeing so much red, black, and green. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then thinking about oh, Kwanzaa, mm. they this past year they learned every um, what is, what is it called? Every value for mm-hmm. Kwanzaa. That's the not principles. the right word, but you know the what I'm talking about. The principles, it. yeah. And they sang that song that I will never get out of my head yeah. now that I'm thinking about Kwanzaa. it. And Kwanzaa, uh-huh. Kwanzaa <laughs> celebration. <laughs> she loved yeah, that song played it too. for her day and night. Yeah, because they had to sing that whole song at their program. Yeah. Um, so just thinking about your reservations when we were looking at the school, um, what are some things that you, I don't know, just things that I guess surprised you in the experience of the past two years? Wow. Um, well, if I'm being honest, the thing that for me was was really great that I wasn't anticipating is like how much community we were going to receive um, mm. from the process as well. Like she's at this school, and sure, they are teaching her this style of education, but we got so much more <laughs> with that. You know, like there's yeah, so uh, much stuff. Black history programs, there's wine nights, there's like dance class mm. for adults, you know, like and <laughs> Like, for them, that community is rooted in what they're trying to teach. You know, yeah. there's an Afrocentric ideal of creating community where we might have lost it. Like, if they're trying to instill this confidence in, in our kids, uh, building community is, like, another way of doing that. Right. I, I really appreciated that community. When our family was, was going through some struggles, like, we went through it last year. You know, mm-hmm. we went from being married to co-parents and at the time that that happened, like, I feel like they closed ranks around us. Mm-hmm. Like, even just the teachers. It was it was crazy unexpected, but it felt so nice to know that we had that. Totally, yeah. You know, they didn't make a big deal of it, but they were like, okay, yeah, this happened. So let us know what you need, and we're here. Um, and I felt like in the aftermath, they were also really attentive in terms of, like, this is how she was feeling today. Let us know what's going on at home and just kind of staying with us every step of the way. Um, and it was a really nice um, kind of benefit to being in a place that's already so familial. It just goes to show how, like, how much we could take them at their word when they say they want this to be a community feeling. Yeah. Have there been any, like, challenges that you didn't anticipate? about this process? Um, So there was one day, I think it was around Black History Month. I'm not sure. Honestly, every month there is Black History Month. But (laughs) um, it was one of the days when her teachers gave me a whole bunch of work that she had done over the past few weeks. Mm -hmm. And one of them was a picture of um, Ruby Bridges. Mm. And the prompt on the paper that, you know, obviously the teachers read to them was, what was your favorite part of the Ruby Bridges story? And Eve had written something like, when the white people were mean... And then when I was looking at, the, I was looking at the other, the other kids' work just to see how it compared. And a lot of kids had said something similar. Like, mm-hmm. and I, I remember having a moment of like, ooh, like why would they allow the kids to kind of dwell on that part when that's not the point of the story? Mm-hmm. But you know, then I was like, that's not the point. The point isn't you know the white people were mean or or whatever the kid happened to pick up. But the point is that they're getting to learn this history. Yeah. And whatever it is that they latch on to, the teachers are affirming that. They're mm-hmm. saying, okay, this is what you remember from the story. This is an important thing to learn. What I mainly got from that is the teachers will never put them down and say, no, don't think that way. Think this way. Basically, their goal is to support whatever she's taking away from it. Um, but yeah. it, it's also keeping in mind that like, how she might be thinking about even things that are 
like painful um, mm-hmm. is age appropriate. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah, she, she's approaching. There's it not now. a lot of room for nuance at three years old. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What do you most hope she's able to retain from her experiences at Afrocentric school? Mm-hmm. I really want her to hold on to her pride just watching the kids whenever they have a program and they're on stage and they're like screaming out their affirmations, like she's just beaming (laughs) and she's so loud and so exuberant. And I really, I want her to hold on to that. And I don't want her to lose any of that fire that she has. Um, And then also just her, her not even willingness, it's a lot stronger than that, but her propensity to advocate for herself and say exactly what she wants when she wants it. Like, you know, obviously we have to temper it in terms of like how to be a functioning member of society, but I don't want her to lose that, that drive to just speak up for herself. I agree. What about you? What are you, what are you thinking in terms of kindergarten, what she should hold on to? I want her to still feel confident, like speaking up to adults. Like you said, she advocates for herself. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I want her to walk into kindergarten and, and like look at all the other little kids and just be like, "I'm awesome," you know? Right, exactly. So, I think I think it's good job to us, you know. Yeah, absolutely. I give both of us a high five. Uh, yeah, and you know, yeah. and I didn't get in the way, which was which was great because <laughs> you know, in hindsight, it that was, I would say it, it was like a healthy, you know, a healthy hesitation. Yeah, yeah, it was. It worked out well. Yeah, it's been it's been a really cool. Two years. I'm excited for the mm-hmm. for the for the last one. I think it's gonna be awesome. Best one yet. Yes. Yep. And uh, and man, we, we you know, we'll see. We're gearing up for a journey of, of the great beyond of what comes after. Oh my goodness. <laughs> yep. Get ready for a lot more tours. <laughs> yeah. When we were trying to make a decision, I really struggled to find resources. But talking about my concerns to friends and family helped so much. So parents, are you considering Afrocentric education for your kid? What else have you tried to make sure your kids are grounded in their culture? We want to hear how you feel about Afrocentric schools. Talk to us on Twitter. We are at The Nod Show. And don't forget to check out our podcast club guide. We've got some questions there to help get your conversation going. And you can find that at the nod.show slash podcast club. That's the nod.show slash podcast club. The Nod is produced by me, Eric Eddings, with Brittany Luce and Kate Parkinson Morgan. Our senior producer is Sarah Abdurrahman. This episode was also produced by James T. Green. It was edited by Jorge Just, Annie Rose Strasser, and Sarah Saracen. With editing help from Van Newkirk II, Live Terrell and Jonathan Goldstein. Engineering from Cedric Wilson. Our theme music is by Khalid B. Additional music in the show by Bobby Lord and Talkstar. Star.